Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. As I kick off this new series called Making Room, I think that God wants to speak to us about two areas in our lives where he wants us to make more room for him. And the first area is in our hearts. I think that God wants to speak to us today about making more room in our hearts for him because some of us have hearts full of all kinds of stuff and there's really no room for God by his spirit to be able to work deeply in our hearts. The second place that I believe God wants us to make more room is here at our church, in our church life, so that more people can come and encounter the spirit of God, amen? And so we wanna make room in these two ways. The problem is not many of us have more room to give. I mean, I have heard so many people, I have said it myself, and that is this phrase, I don't have room for one more thing in my life, right? How many of you have thought that? I don't have room in my brain. I don't have room in my schedule. Just, I don't have room for anything. And I've heard so many people say, everything is so busy. I mean, we are officially in the fall season. If you've got kids in school, school starts this week. My kids are going to two separate schools. It's chaos, okay? And I mean, it, we're just so busy. We're, some of us are rushing into getting the last of summer in. Our family just went to a Mariners game this last week. We're squeezing that in. Some of us are rushing to Starbucks because we love the fall so much and we just want a pumpkin spice latte. I mean, some of you have already had like eight pumpkin spice lattes, okay? And we're just rushing. And at the end of the day, we feel like I have no room in my life for anything. I have no room in my brain. I have no room in my heart. I have no room in my schedule. There's just no room left in my life. And so it's crazy how we can be surprised when our schedules and our lives might be full, but our souls are still empty. But our souls are still empty. You know, we're going to dive into a scripture today uh, that I think is really going to help us understand the importance of making room in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to do a work within us. And it's found in Luke chapter 24, and it's basically the story of these two men that were on the road to Emmaus. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it to set it up before we read the actual scripture. And that is this. There were two men, two disciples of Jesus, who had just seen Jesus die on the cross. The man that they loved, the man that they followed, the man who just so impacted their life, they saw him die. And they are in complete disarray. They're walking on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they are just, like I said, disillusioned. They're disoriented. They're wondering what in the world just happened. They, have you ever had something happen in your life, and you're like, I can't even process what just happened right now. Anybody been there? And so they're in this moment, just walking down this road with each other, trying to process, trying to figure out what just happened. This was God, and he just died on the cross. And all of a sudden, a stranger comes up beside of them and starts talking with them. Does anybody remember this story and who started walking up next to these guys? It was Jesus. 
So Jesus walks up next to these guys, but God, the scripture says, would not let them see with their eyes or recognize that it was Jesus. He kept them from being able to see that it was him. Isn't that cool? And so they're like, don't recognize that it's Jesus. They're just walking next to this guy. And Jesus comes along beside them. It's basically like, what's the hot goss, guys? Like, what's going on? Why is, what's happening to you? So we're going to pick up in verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He had a prophet. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, everybody say, we had hoped. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed them. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. So I can imagine that these two guys, these two disciples, who literally let go of everything, gave up everything to follow Jesus, and now he has died. They've heard some rumors that he might be alive. I can imagine that they just must be in so much despair, in so much confusion, just trying to understand what is going on here. And Jesus, who we don't, who they don't know is Jesus, comes along and he says, you guys, are you kidding me? Don't you remember what the scriptures said? Don't you remember that the story doesn't end here? Because the prophets all along, the entire narrative of the Bible comes to this point where we then know that Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is like, what is going on with you? And I want to tell you, I wonder, I want to propose to us today that the reason these two disciples could not really remember or recall God's promises that he was going to live and resurrect victoriously is because they didn't have any room in their hearts to believe it. They could not recall it. Their hearts were full of despair, full of confusion, full of disillusionment, and they could not, they had no room in their hearts to remember the promises of God. Isn't that wild? I think many of us have moments in our lives where we forget who God is, what he's done, who he's promised to be in our lives because our hearts are so full of a bunch of other stuff. Lies, grief, despair, all these different things. And it's difficult to make room. It's difficult to make room in our hearts. You know, I was thinking of an example 
at my house. It's difficult to make room uh, because Pastor Predeepin and I, for the first 10 years of our lives, we slept in a full-size bed. Okay, anybody know how small a full-size bed is? Okay, so we slept in this full-size bed. It's really small. Those of you that like have slept or sleep in California Kings, I have envied you for years, okay? So we sleep in this small bed, and I'll never forget, I got pregnant with our first baby, and I was like, honey, we need a bigger bed because I've got this giant belly. We have no room in this bed. We Get me a bigger bed, please, you know? And Pretty Ben, he would just look at me with those big brown eyes, and he would say, I just want to be close to you, Amrita. And I looked at him pregnant and I said, I just want to kill you because I am huge. I have 16 pillows trying to make me comfortable so I can sleep. There's no getting close to each other in this moment, right? So I'm like, oh, give me a bigger bed. So then sure enough, we get a queen size bed. But before we get to the queen size bed, can I just show you what, how small a full bed is, okay? Like there is a full, there is a California king. Pastor Pradeepan and I, we are not very big people, but do you see how tiny that thing is? I mean, how many of you sleep in a California King? You can be honest. I will, I will not judge you. Okay, there's a few of you. I didn't know. I know you're like ashamed, right? You should feel sorry for me. But uh, I actually heard that there's actually something called an Alaskan King bed. Anybody sleep in one of those bad boys? Yeah? Okay, you don't want to admit it. That's fine. So... So I, I, I told Pradeep and we need a queen. So it gets me, we get a queen bed from somebody in this church because I think they felt sorry for us. So they gave us a queen bed and I said, honey, now that we have our kids, our queen bed is not big enough. And he's like, what are you talking about? And so I told him, we have this rotation happening right now at our house where our oldest boy is seven years old. He's long and lanky and he sometimes has a hard time falling asleep in his room. So he comes into bed with us to fall asleep sleep. And he's finally asleep. Pastor Pradeepan and I are dozing off. I roll over to Pastor Pradeepan and I say, honey, can you take him in his room now so we can have more space? Pradeepan's like, why? And I said, because in about three hours, the other kid is about to walk in here and crawl into bed with us. And there's not enough room for all four of us. So unless you get me a California king, these kids can't stay in here. We need a bigger bed, right? And so it's hard to make room. I mean, I am one of those people that if all four of us sleep in a bed together, I wake up disillusioned, <laughs> confused angry. You know, there's just no room. And so it is with our hearts. We have no room left when we're full of all of these things. We're full of ideas, full of feelings, full of experiences in life. And it's difficult to make room for Jesus. And then we wonder, why do we feel so empty on the inside? Why do we feel so empty? I think that oftentimes I experience people who come to me and they say, Amrita, I want to experience more of God. I want to experience him more. Even Christian people, I want to experience God. I want to know him more. I want to, I, I just feel like I'm hitting this wall. I'm hitting this ceiling. I just want to know more of God. And I look at their lives and they tell me more about what's going on. And I realize, well, there's no room in your life for more of God. There's no room of your, in your heart for him to speak to you and to touch you and to move by his Holy Spirit. You know, our hearts are full of lots of different things, full of fear. 
We are full of fear of the unknown. We're full of fear of disappointment. We're full of fear of just like, what is even going to happen with this world that is on fire? You know, the three top things that Americans are the most fearful of is government corruption, financial collapse, and climate change. Some of us are dwelling on this. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what the future of our children are going to be. Our hearts are full of fear of the unknown. Our hearts are full of being disoriented and disappointed just by the curveballs that have been thrown at us by life. And just trying to make sense of them, trying to, trying to just not be mad at God, right? Some of us, are, are, our lives are just full of the mundane. We, we reached the American dream, but it wasn't God's dream. He wanted more for us. We're hungry for more of him. Some of us are full of pride, full of anger, full of distraction. Some of us are just full of it, right? And there are those of us, I believe, even sitting here, I've been through this. There's those of us who just, our hearts are full of skepticism, of suspicion, of Jesus, of the church, of Christianity, about who Jesus claims to be. And we want so badly, we go through these crises of faith, and I understand it, I've been there, but when we are, our, our, our hearts are just so full of that skepticism, so full of that suspicion, then there's no room for Jesus to reveal himself to us. And Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. And I think in order to make room, so in order to make more room in our hearts and in our church for Jesus, for his spirit to work in us, we need to ask a few questions. We need to ask ourselves a few questions. The first one is this. What's the narrative that you're believing? What's the narrative you're believing? You know, these guys are walking on this road and they're trying to get their story straight. They're so disillusioned. They're trying to figure out what just happened and they're believing a narrative as they talk, as they try to figure all of this out. And you know what narrative they started believing? They started to believe that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Jesus died. That's not who he said he was. How is this happening? And so we start to realize that there's a narrative that they're believing that isn't true. It's not the narrative that God would have for them to believe. It's not the narrative of the entire biblical story. And I think many of us have a narrative about our lives and about our story that isn't quite what Jesus wants it to be and wants us to understand about our stories. You know, I just finished watching nine seasons of the show Suits. Okay, anybody watch Suits out there? Okay, I'm not necessarily promoting it, I'm just telling you a story. So, we, uh, I started watching this and I've been watching it and I finished it and this whole story, I'm not gonna give, I'm gonna try not to give too much away, okay, no spoilers. But this whole story is about this guy who practices law at a, a giant law firm in New York City and this guy did not go to law school. So he's practicing law as a fraud. Okay, never went to law school. And everyone that is like behind this guy, they all believe this narrative that this guy is so talented and so amazing at winning high profile cases that he doesn't need to go to law school. It's okay that he's a fraud and he is practicing law, right? He does have a photographic memory. Okay, so he has that going for him. And so we see, I just am watching and I'm just like nine seasons of this narrative of this guy who 
who just believes, they just believe. I mean, it's amazing how like TV and storytelling can get you to cheer for something that you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not actually, I don't actually support this. I think the guy like shouldn't be a fraud, right? But we all start cheering along and we start believing this narrative that this guy is so awesome that it's fine for him to be practicing law as a fraud, right? And so it's really crazy how we begin to believe inaccurate beliefs about ourselves and about our story and about our world and about God. We have to check the narrative that we're believing. I want to ask you this question. What's the narrative you're believing that's crowding out God's ability to work in your heart? Is it the narrative that God has forgotten you and left you behind? Feels like everybody else is moving forward and getting what they want and I'm I'm just here. Is it the narrative that if you could only make so much money, you would finally arrive, your family would finally be taken care of the way that you always wished? Is it the narrative that your divorce means that God is ashamed of you and you really have nothing else left to offer? Is it the narrative that the miscarriage was your fault? I've been there. Is it the narrative that God plays favorites? Seems like some people are God's favorite and get his favor and get all the blessings and I, I, just, I just don't know where I land and where I am with that. Is it the narrative that you will never be able to overcome this addiction? We had someone recently confess to us that they had an addiction to a substance and I was so proud of this person and I was like, man, listen, like the beginning of making room in your heart for God to transform your life is just even telling us confessing it, bringing it into the light, letting someone know so that you're not alone on this journey. Each of us has a narrative we believe about ourselves and God. Have you left room for Jesus to tell you a more beautiful story? Have you left room for Jesus to tell you a more beautiful story? Jesus joined these men on the road to Emmaus to tell them a more beautiful story. You know how we know this? Because in verse 27, it says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He reminded them that the story of Jesus was not over and that Jesus was alive and that he is there to conquer and to be victorious over the whole world. Some of us need to invite Jesus to walk alongside of us in the narrative that we're believing to tell us a more beautiful story. Amen? You know, I actually wanted to make sure that I was practicing what I preached. And I sat down this week with my journal, and I just began to pray. And I just said, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me narratives of my life and of my story that I believe that, that don't line up with who I am in you? Would you tell me? Because God, I want to make room for you. And, and you guys, I had a really profound experience with the Holy Spirit this week because I realized as I went through some of my journey, I realized that there were two things, two, two major things that were taking up space in my life and I was not leaving any room for God to come and heal and touch me and move me to a different place. And the first one was this, it was shame. There's shame that was taking up a lot of space in my heart. And you know what I realized? A lot of the shame that I was experiencing was actually because of what other people had spoken over me. It was actually because of what other people had told me about my own story and my own journey. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not actually ashamed of that. But I I had let those words just get into me and just permeate my soul. The second thing was 
just being honest about the fact that I have a lot of disappointment that I was carrying in my heart. A lot of disappointment about God and what he is doing and what he isn't doing and where he does show up and where he's not showing up. And I was just being really honest with myself. And I want to tell you guys this morning that I believe that Jesus once wanted to show me a more beautiful story about my life. And he did. And I'll be honest with you, one of those things is uh, the narrative that I believe about my little boy who has autism, who's nonverbal and has a lot of cognitive disabilities. And for the longest time I have gone to God and I have just been so disappointed. See, this is the thing about disappointment. What it does is it comes into your life and it just settles in your heart over a long period of time. My little boy is seven years old and it wasn't until this week that I began to realize, listen, God might be wanting to be, write a more beautiful story and God, be, and I, I told the Lord, Lord, I know what is best for him. I know this can't be your will for his life, but what if, what if God is writing a more beautiful story about my family and my little boy? What if he is? God forbid that I keep so much other stuff in my heart that I steal the beautiful thing that he's trying to do in his life and in our family's life, right? So many of us need to invite Jesus to walk alongside us on the journey that we're living to write a more beautiful story. Can I get a good amen? Amen, amen. I want to leave you this, this point with this uh, Quote by Eugene Peterson, it says this, when we submit our lives to what we read in scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. It all starts with Jesus. Amen? Point two, the second question we need to ask ourselves is, can you invite an invisible God into your heart? Remember, they couldn't see that it was Jesus that had just joined their walk on the way to Emmaus. You know, my daughter is four years old, and right now she does not understand where Jesus is. I keep telling her, Jesus lives in your heart. And the other day she came to me and she said, Mom, can Jesus come out of my heart so I can talk to him? And she said, um, she said also, Mom, like, I don't want to go in there and find him because it's dark in there. <laughs> and Pradeepan said, Nala. Your, dark, your heart is dark? Bring the light of Jesus in, girl! You know? And so we were laughing. I said, Nala, I said, you know, God is all, he's with us all the time. He's everywhere. And she said, Mom, if God is everywhere, then how is he going to come back to us? And I was like, you got some theological questions <laughs> to answer, little girl. You know? She's going through it. So our tendency, our tendency is to ignore what we can't see. Here's the thing. God would not allow them to see that it was Jesus with their eyes. But you know what God allowed? God allowed their hearts to be stirred when Jesus spoke to them and reminded them of the story that was actually going on. Do you see this? Jesus allowed their eyes to be blind so their hearts could awaken to him. You may not be able to see what God is doing in your life. It doesn't mean he's not transforming your life. It doesn't mean that he's not working deeply in your heart. I mean, have you ever like listened to a podcast in the car and you like have never seen these people in your life, but they're talking about something and it gets you really excited and it starts stirring you and it starts evoking your mind. Or there are people that have literally, literally fallen in love with other people online that they've never seen before. 
Our hearts can be evoked and stirred without ever having seen visually with our hearts. Why? With our eyes. Because God is constantly concerned with the state of our hearts. He cares very deeply about where your heart is, the narrative that you believe, the things that are causing you to not experience who he is. He cares deeply about that. Do you remember the story of Jesus healing the paralytic in the New Testament? There, was this, there were these friends who brought a man that was paralyzed on a mat to Jesus. And there's all these people around watching, including religious leaders and Pharisees. And they bring this man, and Jesus looks at this man who is paralyzed, and you know what he says? He says, be encouraged, child. Your sins are forgiven. And everyone is like, huh? Like, that's not why we brought him to you. Like, we brought him to you so that you would heal him. Like, heal his legs so he can walk. And there's a reason why Jesus, there are two reasons why Jesus, I believe, wanted to do something that we cannot see with our eyes. I want to look at Matthew 9, verse 3. It says this, but some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. This is what I think we have to realize. Jesus was communicating two things that you cannot visually see in this moment. The first one was this. He cared deeply about this man's heart more than his healing, more than the healing of his legs. It would have been such a sad story had this man been able to walk, but had walked away without ever encountering Jesus in his heart and being transformed by him. Isn't that amazing? The second thing that Jesus did that no one could actually see is that he communicated to the religious leaders and the Pharisees that he, in fact, had the authority to forgive sins. And they hated him for it. And they said, that is blasphemy. You know why? Because only God can forgive sins. And you are claiming to be God? You're not God. See, these Pharisees, they had the job of making sure that people weren't just claiming to be God out of the blue, right? And so they hated him for it, and they were coming against him. And I think we have to see in both these stories, in the two men that are on the road to Emmaus, and in this moment where the Pharisees and the religious leaders are sitting and they see Jesus claim to forgive sins, in both stories, these people are completely disillusioned completely confused, completely disoriented about what Jesus is doing and what's happening with him. And the temptation I think we have to be careful of is this. We have to be careful not to build a theology about Jesus by making the Bible adjust to our experiences rather than the truth. We must be careful not to build our Christian theology and doctrine from a place of confusion, skepticism, and disillusionment. We have to be careful not to do that. Jesus was here to say, listen, I want you to make room for my transformative power in your lives. I want you to remain in me. Listen, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. Will you have relationship with me? The one who can, yes, heal your legs, but can also forgive you of your sins. Isn't that powerful? God is amazing. Francis Chan says this, the theology that matters is not the theology we profess, but the theology we practice. And I want to tell you, if you want to practice good theology, make room in your life for the spirit of God to move in you 
to speak to you, to touch your life. Amen? Stop trying to control everything. Don't let disappointment take over. Make sure that despair and sorrow isn't the only thing that you can experience. Give yourselves an opportunity to make room and experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life because he will be faithful to you. He will be faithful. You know, I want to tell you the story of these floors. If you would look down right now at the floors that your, that your chairs are on, this is just like concrete, right? But these floors are a miracle that happened in our church about two weeks ago, and I want to tell you how this happened because I want to prove to you that when you make room in your agenda, when you make room in your life, when you as pastors make room for God to move in your church, God can do miracles. God can do miracles. We decided two weeks ago that we were going to pull up all of the ugly blue carpet that was in our lobby and in our kids' spaces. Does anybody remember that, that blue carpet that was just kind of gross? Okay, so we decided we're going to pull that up. And so we, we came on a Monday. We all like made sure we had grubby clothes on. We started pulling up all this carpet. And underneath the carpet was this really ugly, sticky, disgusting brown glue. Like thick glue. I don't know if you remember, but there was actually glue in this room, but we just tried to cover it up with the chairs so you didn't notice, okay? So this glue was all over, everywhere, in the kids' rooms, all over. And uh, I, we were just like, oh my gosh, like this, is, this, this glue is disgusting. Our plan was to epoxy all the floors for about a thousand bucks. We're just going to cover over the glue. Let's just cover it over it. Let's just paint over it. We're just going to epoxy it. Well... Amy and I, our kids director, we got the task after they pulled up the carpet to clean the glue. I don't know if you've ever tried to clean glue before, but it is a job from the pit of hell, okay? Like, it's just kind of impossible. And so we tried to clean this glue the best we could. Well, that morning, I had a meeting with a woman named Sam who attends our church. She's sitting right over there. And I decided to text her, and I, I texted her one thing. I just said, hey, Sam, I'm on my way over. I just want you to know that I look filthy because we've been pulling up carpet here at the church and cleaning glue. And so uh, she's like, oh, no problem. You're going to be ready for a coffee. And so I head over there. I have my, my coffee with her, and she doesn't say anything about the floors, anything about anything until we get to the very end of our conversation. She says, hey, I'm Rita. She said, tell me about what you're doing at the church with the floors. So I tell her a little bit about it. She says, do you know that my husband, Reggie, his business is right down, right here on 21st. It's right down the street here. And she said, um, would you be okay if I called Reggie and ask him if him and his guys would maybe want to come check it out and come help you guys epoxy all the floors? And I was like, well, yeah. Like, we need help. Of course. Like, tell him to come. Well, Reggie, her husband, and his partner, Victor, come over to the church, and I'm going to tell you, exactly what I thought would happen actually happened. They came in here, they took one look at this glue, they looked at our plan to epoxy it, and you could tell that they thought we were crazy. You know, like, they're like, oh, this is not a good plan, you know? And so Reggie, just so kindly and generously, he just says, hey, guys, would you let me just bless you? Would you, would you let me just... Um, Go ahead and rent a machine that costs $3,500 a day that has sharp enough knives that when it comes down on this glue, what will happen is the glue will come up and you'll actually get to see the real concrete and the floors underneath, which we had never imagined we would be able to do. And we were like, well, that wasn't in our agenda. 
that wasn't in our plan. Don't know if we can make room for this, you know? Like we've tried to get some machines in here to try to clean up all this glue. It didn't work the first time. And Reggie was like, hey, you know, would it be okay if I tried? You know, I'll, I'll, let me just take care of it. And so Reggie brings in this, they, they go to Seattle, they pick up this giant, I mean, it looked like a monster kind of machine. And they bring it in here. And for three days, his guys, went to town on these floors, morning till night. They went through every crevice, every single area of these floors, and they got up all of the glue until we could see these beautiful concrete floors. Now listen, it was about $50,000 worth of work that God blessed this church with. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? They just took care of it. Why? Because they believe that when we make room for more people, for the lost, for the broken, for people to come into our church, God will meet them and he will encounter them and he will be faithful to them. That's why they did it. That's why they did it. I want to show you some pictures of before and after of these floors. There's the before in our lobby. You can see that really ugly uh, glue on that far end. It's really brown and thick. Let's go to the next picture. And here's an after picture here in the sanctuary. You can see how beautiful it is. Let's go to the next picture. Yeah, look at that glue. This is dark, ugly, gross. I don't even know what that is. We'll go to the next one. And there's the, the final. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? Can we give it up for Jesus? Isn't that cool? When we make room for Jesus, he comes through. He does really amazing and beautiful things. And I want to end this story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I want to tell you this. This is what happened. They finally get there. Jesus pretends, says the Bible says, he acted like he was going to go on. Have you ever had somebody who just loves the chase? You're like, hey, do you want to come to this party? And they're like, oh, no, I probably should like mow my lawn. And they're like, you're like, no, come to the party. Come on, come on. They just love the chase. You know what I'm talking about? And so they're like, Jesus, no, please, would you stay? Would you stay? Come in and eat with us. Jesus sits down with them. He breaks bread. And then their eyes were open to see Jesus. And they saw him after they made more room for him to come into their lives and come into their home. And listen, the Bible says that within an hour after having just arrived, they ate real fast. And within an hour, they went back to Jerusalem to tell everyone that Jesus is alive. And this is the moment. In verse 33, it says, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They told everybody that Jesus was alive. And I want to tell you, church, Kalos is in this moment in verse 33, where we are going out to tell our community, to invite people to encounter the loving presence of Jesus Christ. This is the moment that we are opening our doors. We're adding a third service. We're joining the team so that we can be in this moment telling people, hey, Jesus is alive. And he cares about you. And he loves you. Would you come? I want to thank you guys for being a part of the vision, the mission that God has us on to make known the beauty of Jesus. I love that Jesus is like, this is your mandate. Make known my beauty. But don't do it with ugly floors. Let me just take care of that. Isn't that cool? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you. For those of you that just say, I, I really have had no room in my life and in my heart for God. For more of who he is, for the transformation he wants to do in my life, I want to pray for you. So let's go ahead and bow our heads. 
If that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand? You need prayer to make more room for Jesus. You're believing a narrative that is not what Jesus, there's hands going up all over the place. You're believing a narrative that is a lie, that is bringing you down, that is causing you to just carry a weight that God doesn't want you to carry. Is that you this morning? Yeah. You can go ahead and put your hands down. I wanna pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you and I lift up every single person who raised their hand. God, I'm asking that you would come and you would begin to change the narrative that they're believing that is not true, that is not what you have for them, Lord. I pray that by your grace, you would give us the ability to make room for the truth of Jesus Christ, for the truth of their story, for the truth that they are a son and daughter of the Most High. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. And Father, we pray for this third service. We pray, God, that you would do what you do best, and that is touch lives and change lives and bring your truth and illuminate things, Lord Jesus, your truth in people's lives. Lord, it's a risk to add a third service, but we're just surrendering to you, God. And we're asking that your will be done in Kalos Church in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I wanna give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.